So uh, you guys ready to get into the word? All right, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 8. So if you guys were with us back in August, we started our whole year doing a series called Love Is, where we just looked at, like, really specific, like, who is Jesus, and what does it mean to reflect the love that he's given us. And I was talking with the team, and um, this is actually the last kind of normal 710 night that we'll have for the rest of the month next week. We have something kind of unique and special that I would encourage you to come to. And then the last uh, uh, the last Tuesday at the end of this month, the third one, we're going to eat tacos, like has already been said. And it's free. I'd encourage you to bring a friend. Um, but I just I thought there would be no better way than just to have a really simple message looking at the love and grace of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, that's why we're here. And um, and so I just I want to encourage you. I, I acknowledge like there are people in the room that like you would say of yourself, like I'm not even a follower of Jesus. And you're kind of just checking this out to see what this Jesus thing is all about or what 710 is all about. And I just want you to know, like, we exist because of Jesus. And uh, and I also know that there's people in the room that, you, man, you've been walking for, with Jesus for years. You've had your uh, your valley moments. You've had your high tops. And uh, like the Lord is meeting each person in this room. Um, at a very specific place, and I acknowledge that. And I just, I just, my prayer tonight is that we just open ourselves up to the love and the grace and the love that Jesus has for us. Okay, does that sound good? Okay, <clears throat> let me start off with a question: Have you ever been? Uh, have you ever like come to a point in your life, like, where you realize like I'm just out of options, like I'm desperate, like I need somebody to like step into the situation in my life or just to step into my life as a whole because like. I just don't know what else to do. And I, I, my guess is if you've, uh, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, there's like really big moments of that. Like, like I just feel like my whole life is just like broken and I need Jesus to step in. But there's also there's like this other area of our life where like there are kind of like smaller moments where it's just like Jesus, like I don't know what else to do about my dating life. I, I need you to step in. Or Jesus, I don't know what else to do about these broken relationships. I just need you to step in. Like, we all have all those things in our lives where we're just asking the Lord to step into those things. And you may not even be a follower of Jesus, and you come into the room, and you're like, I'm just trying to see, like, what God can do about these situations. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. In Luke 8, um, look with me uh, at verses 26 through 56. Now, let me give you a little bit of uh, background on what's going on. So, Luke, who's the author of uh, of this section of uh the scripture that we're reading, he actually wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples that followed with him around personally, but he was a follower of Jesus. And uh, he wrote the book of Luke uh, to get an orderly account of all that Jesus said and all that he did so that for us, like people like today, that we could look back and be like, okay, here's the testimony of the person of Jesus and what he did. And he purposely, um, we're looking at a story where Jesus specifically heals three different people. He heals a demon-possessed man, he heals a bleeding woman, and then he heals uh, Jairus' daughter, who is like a, a fair, he's not a, uh, he's like a leading Pharisee, kind of like a pastor of the day, and his daughter's dying, Jesus heals him. And Luke purposely puts these stories together because he really wants us to like key into some of the details and, and, and like identify with some of the experiences of, that these people are experiencing. So we're going to read this whole story, and then I just want to break it down into like four simple points and apply it to our lives. And uh, I'm really excited for uh, what the Lord will say to us in a minute. So um, read with me through this uh, section of scripture, Luke 8, 26. 
So it says, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, so that's Jesus and his disciples, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Now imagine showing up to this island, and you have a naked demon-possessed man greet you. It's like, I would get in the boat and turn right back around, right? But it says, when, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want to do with me, or what do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the man replied, Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Now imagine this, you, you ask, what, what's, what's, like, what's your name? And he responds in the plural, like, we're legion. Because, and by the way, legion is a Latin word, it's kind of like this military word. A legion was about 6,000 soldiers. So when he responds to Jesus that my name is legion, he's saying, like, there's a lot of demons in this guy. And then uh, in verse 32, it says, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and it was drowned. Could you imagine just, like, watching this situation, just, like, all of a sudden all these pigs start going off the cliff? And when those carrying the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with, see, like, he just wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, Jesus, verse 40, when he returned, so he just came back from the place that he was going. This was a hectic day in the life of Jesus. A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, so just think of like a pastor in the Jewish society, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So like an extremely tragic situation. As Jesus was on the way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and, tetch, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. So Jesus stops at this moment and says, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Je- Peter's like, listen, like, there's so many people here. Like, how are we supposed to know who touched you? But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and says, your daughter is dead. But Jesus says, don't be afraid, 
he's saying is, but don't be afraid, just believe, and he will be saved. So when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. And meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus said, stop wailing. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that he was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So I just read a long story, but think about this for a second. Like, this is one day. So Jesus goes to this island. There's this demon-possessed man. He has this crazy encounter. He heals the man. He goes from, like, complete insanity to complete sanity, like, sitting at Jesus' feet. And then as he comes back to this other part of the town— there's this, uh, Jairus comes up to him, like, he's like, could you imagine, like, the panic in him, like, throwing himself, like, like Jesus, like, my daughter's going to die. As he's going to heal his daughter, a woman touches him. He recognizes his power comes out. He turns around. He acknowledges her, which, by the way, I love that he's on the way to save somebody from dying, and he still stops enough to acknowledge the person who came to Jesus. He heals her, and then he goes to Jairus' house. He says, stop wailing. And then she completely is risen from the dead because of what Jesus had done in her life. Now, these can seem like isolated incidents, right? Like, there's just a story here and a story here and a story here, and isn't it nice that Jesus healed them? But there's actually something way deeper going on that I really want to bring out in this story. And I want to show you three things that all of these people had in common um, that Luke wants you to see that you may not see on a first reading. And the first thing is this. All three of these people ran out of human options for their, for their circumstances. See, in verse 29, it says the demon-possessed man, it said he had no control. Like, he had no control, and he was out of options for the situation that he was in. It literally said that people tried to chain him, and it didn't really work, so they just kind of dismissed him. So, like, he had no ability to change anything, and the people around him had, didn't have any ability to change him, so they sent him away to live by the tombs. And then Jairus, even though he was like, Jairus is like the person when you're sick, like you want him to pray over you because he's like the super spiritual person. He's at his wit's end, and he's like, he can't do anything. His daughter's dying. People, I'm sure, have been praying over his daughter. There's nothing that he can do. And he comes and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus because he's out of options. The bleeding woman, it says she was bleeding for 12 years, which, by the way, it's not just 12 years of having the sickness. In Jewish society, she would have been considered unclean, which means she would have been outside of the like ordinary life of the Jewish society. So she's lonely, so she's sick, and in her desperation, she has to come to Jesus because she's completely out of circumstances. And here's the thing. Jesus, through this author, Luke, wants you to see something very specific. And, and this is what I want, want you to see. Sometimes Jesus will let you exhaust all your options until he's the only one left on the table. Like, sometimes in your life, you know this to be true in experience, Jesus will let you exhaust all of your options until he's the only one left on the table. Because one of the things that I've noticed in my life is we tend to fix what we can and then invite God in to do what we can't. Isn't that true? Like, it, like we may not be consciously thinking about it that way, but how we live, like, we do what we can to manage our life, and then we bring in Jesus to close the deal on the things that we're struggling with. And I try to think about it. So I played baseball growing up. That was like the primary sport that I played. And in baseball, you have the starting pitcher. 
And in, in baseball, there's about nine innings, so the, each team gets to be field and hit at nine innings. And uh, so typically the starting pitcher will come in, and he throws seven innings until his arm's tired. And then you have this bullpen in the back where all the pitchers that, like, could get called in sit, and they just kind of wait for the phone call to come in. And when the starting pitcher gets tired, they call in the, the big dog, and he comes in and he closes the game. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want to be your closing pitcher. Like, we treat Jesus like, hey, I'll, I'll throw the game until I get tired, and then I'll just have you come in at the end. And maybe that's like, if you're an unbeliever in the room, like that's been kind of your experience. Like you, you come in the room and you're like, I've actually exhausted all my options. Like life is leaving me pretty empty right now. I'm pretty unfulfilled. And like, I just need something. Jesus is showing us in the story that we often, we try to be God in our circumstances rather than being led by God through them. Like we try to be, we try to be God in our circumstances, meaning we try to manage our life. We try to control things for our ultimate good. And Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you to just try to be me and get your life figured out. He's like, I want to actually lead you through the hard things that you're walking through right now. So what is it, what is it for you? Like, what is, what is the thing that you're walking through? What is the thing that you're dealing with that's you've exhausted all your options like what's the is it a dating relationship is it is it depression is it anxiety is it a, is it a relationship like what is it like if you can just name what it is and then one of the invitations of the gospel is the sooner that you can recognize that when i lose control when i give up control in my circumstances the sooner you'll start to experience god's power in your life all three of these people in the story, Jesus let exhaust all their options, and he welcomed them to himself to heal them of the damage they were actually bringing new life into. So the first thing that we see is that all three of these people ran out of human options for their circumstance. The second thing that we see is that all, th all three of these people found themselves at the feet of Jesus. So in their helplessness, Every single one of these people found themselves at the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you picked this up when we were reading it. In verse 28, it says, The demon-possessed man, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet. In verse 35, it says, When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. In verse 41, it says, Jairus, Jairus, a synagogue ruler, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him. Verse 47, it says, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. See, what Luke is trying to show you is that when you recognize your helplessness, when you recognize that I have nothing left, you'll find yourself at the feet of Jesus. And it's at the feet of Jesus that you'll experience the power of God. And so, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was preaching this message is like being at the feet of Jesus was kind of like it was a reality for them. Like they were like Jesus was physically in front of them and they could actually throw themselves at Jesus' feet. But like what does it mean for us to actually find ourselves at the feet of Jesus? And I think what Luke is trying to show you is like when you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, it's this idea of coming to him 
completely acknowledging their helplessness. Like all these people, like in their in their desperation, they threw themselves at his feet, and and, and they they completely it's a, it's a posture of surrender, it's a posture of humility, and it's recognizing even just going to Jesus' feet is a recognition of who he is, and who you are. And, and, and Jesus' inv- invitation, he says, "Come, sit at my feet." And that's a place that you'll experience power and transformation for the thing that you're looking to in your life. And, um, but let's just be honest. Uh, it's, it's hard to go to the feet of Jesus sometimes, is it not? Like, like what keeps us from the feet of Jesus? And uh, I feel like there's multiple things that actually keep us from coming from the feet of Jesus. The first thing is uh, there's this false sense of, like, strength. Like, this I-can-do-it attitude. Like, think about it. If you think you can navigate life yourself, you won't find yourself at the feet of Jesus because you don't need to be there. Does that make sense? So, like, you just, like, this I-can-do-it attitude, it's kind of like, I'll just figure it out. Like, that, that will prevent you from coming to experience the power of Jesus at his feet. There's also this other thing that I've realized, and I think this is the, something that I really wrestle with, is that, like, let's just be honest. Like, we're allergic to weakness. Like, we, like, all these people, think about it. They, it, it was embarrassing for them to do what they needed to do. Uh, the bleeding woman, it said she was trembling when she came up to Jesus. Uh, Jairus, who was like the most put together person in society, literally abandoned all, all dignity to throw himself at the feet of Jesus. And we just, we hate feeling weak and looking weak in front of others, don't we? And so when you have to come to the feet of Jesus, it's an acknowledgement of how weak you are. But it's also the secret to experiencing his power. In, his we- in your weakness, you experience it. He is strong. Um, another thing is our culture, uh, it teaches you to look for power within so you don't need to find it in somebody else. Like our culture has, like, like even just like the American like man or whatever of like just being the strong, powerful person. And like this culture has like discipled us in a lot of ways to like just be strong. And if that's the environment that you grow in, in, in the kingdom of God, it turns actually the whole all upside down. Because, like, power is actually not deeper within you. It's outside of you in the person of Jesus Christ. Like, the power that you're actually looking for isn't found in you. It's found in him. And um, <coughs> I feel like the most common thing and one of the things that I was really wrestling with, too, is um, one of the things that keeps us from the feet of Jesus is this kind of... Um, I put this sentence down. I've gone before and it didn't work. Like, think about that. Like, like you, I've talked to so many people and it kind of comes out like, well, I tried and God left me alone, right? And if we're honest, we all have those kind of like beliefs too. Like, I tried, like I, I came to the feet of Jesus and I didn't experience his power like people did. Or I actually felt like when I came and like felt like what I was dealing with, like I totally failed. And I experienced this rejection. And I don't know, there's so many different stories in here, and I know that, but there's a couple of things that I would give you to, to kind of think about. One of the things that uh, we, we have to be very aware of is, like, when you come before the feet of Jesus, you have to know what type of prayer you're praying. You can pray prayers of preference, and then there's prayers of, of purpose. So, like, if you're praying preferences, like, you come to before the feet of Jesus and like, Lord, I have this preference. Will you please meet it? And then Lord in his wisdom and in his love for you says no. 
most people bail because they don't get their preference met right away. And so they'll say, hey, since the Lord didn't meet my preference, I'm out. But when you pray these prayers of purpose, like God, like the scripture says, like when the Lord, uh, when you pray according to his will, it says he hears you and he has prepared. And um, when you when you humble yourself and you come before the Lord, like there's an acknowledgement of like, Lord, you are way wiser than me and you love me. And if I knew what you knew, I could rest. And I'm just telling you, the Lord loves you and he knows what you're dealing with. And you can rest in um, what he has for you because he is uh, your shepherd. Um, So I would just ask you, for the unbeliever in the room, like what's keeping you from the feet of Jesus? Like what's keeping you from the feet of Jesus? I, I thought that it's really helpful. Like if you can actually name the thing that is keeping you from the Lord's feet or the thing that just kind of like, man, if I could get this dealt with, I would actually totally be in. Like if you could just name it, it's actually so much more helpful because you see it clearly. And then I would just encourage you, like, if you if you came as somebody who, like, knows the Lord and loves him, like, process that thing with it. Just, like, just name it. And then, uh, like, for the believer in the room, I would just I would just ask you, like, when's the last time you found yourself at the feet of Jesus? Because being at the feet of Jesus, it's not just this once-in-a-lifetime thing that you do, but I would just say Luke's trying to show you that it's actually the daily posture of a follower of Jesus. And not, like, when's the last time you were at church? When's the last time you were in a small group? When's the last time you went to friends? Like, when's the last time you personally were at his feet? Asking for his mercy, praying with him your heart desires. And I would just encourage you, like, if you can develop this daily rhythm of just being at the Lord's feet, like, you will grow this intimate relationship with him that is so beautiful, that is so beautiful. So the, the second thing that we saw is that all three of these people found themselves at the feet of Jesus. The third thing that we see is that all three of these people were given a testimony to share. So the demon-possessed man, uh, when Jesus brings healing to his life, Jesus says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So it says, so the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. And the best part about the story is Jesus actually goes back to this place later, and it says that there's believers there. And so he actually goes home and he tells everybody what God has done for him. And it actually, like, like his testimony actually brought transformation, not in his life, but also in other people's lives. The bleeding woman, I don't know if you guys caught this, but it says, then the, in verse 47, it says, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling, fell at his feet. And then look at this phrase. It says, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. So even there, right, like, right after she has a testimony, and in the presence, Luke makes it very clear, brings that point, in the presence of everybody, she shared her testimony. Now, what's interesting is, in verse 56, Jairus, uh, after he raises his daughter from death to life, he tells her uh, and the family not to say anything, which at first reading can kind of seem, like, very odd. Like, like why is that a thing? And I I would just say this really quick. Uh, Jesus isn't telling them to never talk about what happened or else it wouldn't have been recorded in this book. Jesus is simply, like, in this moment, like, if you guys remember when we're reading through the story, like, literally the crowds were, like, pressing in on Jesus. Like, he could barely even get to the house, and he's, like, saying, like, hey, it's more of a circumstantial thing at this moment. Like, hey, don't say anything, like, because there's growing misconceptions about who I am. I can't feed those things, and, like, it's just really hard for me to even walk around right now. Just, like, don't say anything about it. But ultimately, that is the testimony that Jairus and his family have. 
And, uh, and I really want to get to this point in this, is that Jesus' transforming power in you and in those around you is your testimony. I found that so often in talking to some of you and in my personal experiences that, like, so often, like, we think we have to become so skilled in showing our faith to others. But, like, what Jesus is coming to show you in the story is that Jesus' transforming power in you is your testimony. Like, what God has done for you, how he's changed you, is the testimony that you can share. See, people can deny your arguments about Christianity. How often have we just, like, went into a conversation with somebody about Jesus and you just get into arguments? People can, people can deny your arguments, but they can't deny your faith. If you've been changed by Jesus, you've been changed by Jesus. I remember my neighbor, um, he's not a Christian yet. Uh, when, I, uh, when I was talking with him, uh, I was just like, you know what, I feel like I want to have like all these different types of conversations with him. And I remember like one of the best ways that we talked about the Lord and it really actually opened up an extra conversation was like, when I was 18, Jesus changed my life. And now I'm in ministry because I want to see it be changed other people's lives. And I remember he didn't know what to do with that. He's like, oh, that's cool. And But because of, like, that just authenticity of, like, this is who I was. This was what Jesus did for me. It opened up this whole world of conversation because we weren't arguing, but he can see my life. And my testimony is what Jesus has done in me. And uh, I want you to notice, too, like, two ways that you can kind of think about this. Uh, in verse 47, with the bleeding woman, it says, In the presence of all the people, he told why he had touched him and how he had the instantly healed. So I, I would just ask you, why did you come to Jesus in the first place? Like, when you're thinking through, like, how do I share my faith? Like, why did you come to Jesus in the first place? And how did he change you? And then that's your story. Like, that's, that's your testimony right there. And not only that, the people that you know, why did they come to Jesus? How did Jesus change them? That's your testimony. And so I just want to, like, I really want to encourage you, like, don't overcomplicate sharing your faith. Like, our culture is so sick of arguing right now. They love it, but they're sick of it at the same time. And Jesus' invitation is just, I would just encourage you, like, just be genuine and be authentic about what God has done in your life and then just share it with people. And so I would just want to ask you, like, your friends, your coworkers, like, the people closest to you, do they know how Jesus changed you? Like, if you really think about it, like, the people that you spend time with that don't know Jesus, do they know how Jesus changed you? And I would just encourage you, like, what Jesus told the, the demon-possessed man is, like, just go and tell how much God has done for you. And people will come to know the Lord. And so uh, the last thing that we saw is that all three of these people were given a testimony to share. And um, which brings us to the last, and I, I really believe the ultimate thing that Luke wants us to see in this story and it's the power and authority of Jesus. I don't know if you guys caught this, but when uh, Jesus was talking to the demon-possessed man, there's all this, like, language of authority that is just in this story. So it says that Jesus commanded the demons, came in, demons to come out, and they did. So 6,000 demons, or 1,000, at the command and word of Jesus came out of the man. It says that the demons, they begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss. So they're even recognizing who Jesus is and who they are. And then it says, Jesus gave them permission. So on this whole story, Jesus, like Luke is clearly trying to show you like the authority and power of Jesus' overall power. 
with a bleeding woman at the very touch of Jesus, she's healed. Like Jesus didn't even have to say anything. Just at the touch of Jesus, she was completely healed. And then with Jairus' daughter, Jesus just speaks to the dead daughter and says, get up. My child, get up. And then he gives her something to eat. See, if, uh, if you're new to the faith, um, or even if you aren't, like, it's very easy to read Jesus's, uh, like, the account of Jesus and go, like, oh, he just did these miracles for people. But what Luke is trying to show you is that when God shows up in human flesh and he walks the streets of his creation, he starts pushing out the darkness in others in his world that's completely ruined. Like, it's not just like, hey, cool, I can do this thing. Like, he, Luke's trying to show you, like, when God shows up and does his thing, like, transformation happens at every level. And then, um, and one of, the, one of the most helpful ways to think about um, these stories, too, is that, like, Jesus' healings, they're previews of what is actually going to come in the future. So when Jesus heals the, the man who is full of demons, he's trying to, Luke's trying to show you that Jesus is Lord over demonic power. When Jesus heals the woman who's sick, he's trying to show you that Jesus is Lord over sickness, and he's Lord over sin, because sickness is in the world because of sin. When Jesus is uh, healing Jairus' daughter and raising her from death to life, he's trying to show you that Jesus is Lord over death. It's a preview of his victory on the cross. See, every single one of Jesus' miracles are a preview of what he's actually going to accomplish on the cross, and even more so, a preview of what God's future world will look like when everything's completely gone that Jesus takes. The hell of this world is going to be pushed out, and God's power is going to bring light where there's darkness. And so the Apostle Paul, when he's reflecting on Jesus' death and his victory, in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, he says this. He says, you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it at the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he chained them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And see, right here, I said Jesus' miracles are a preview of his victory at the cross. Right here, you see Jesus is victorious over sin because the, the death that you deserved— the punishment that you deserve, Jesus was condemned so that you could walk free. And then this passage, this is always kind of the weird one, it says, but Jesus disarmed the spiritual authorities. So I don't know if you know this, but Satan actually means accuser. And so if Satan is an accuser, if he can, uh, the one thing that he has before God is if he can accuse you of your sin before God, and he knows God's just, so God has to punish sin because he's just, so then he's got, he's got us. Because he goes, well, he's a sinner, so you have to do what's just. But when Jesus went to the cross, he took the punishment that you deserve, so he actually stripped Satan of the very weapon he could use to condemn you. And that's good news, isn't it? That's great news. And so Jesus is, he's Lord over sin, he's Lord over uh, the powers of darkness, and then in 2 Timothy 1, 9-10, uh, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus is Lord over death. He says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life, he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior, right here. He says he broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And so here's what I want to share and invite you into now. 
if Luke is trying to show you that Jesus has authority over all the powers that rule in his world and yours, if Jesus has authority over those things and went to the cross for you, then you can trust that Jesus has authority and power over the brokenness in your life too. And the invitation is to rest in that, that God loves you and that he's good and that he's beating that thing. But it's also an invitation to come to him, to come to his feet, to experience his transforming power because it's at his feet that you're actually experienced. So I don't know what you're dealing with tonight. I don't know what you're coming in with, but I just encourage you, come to the one who has all authority. Come to the one who has power. Come to the one who loves you and experiences grace and mercy. And so here's the thing. I just wanted, I want to share three takeaways as we, uh, as we end tonight. And the first one is this. Um, one of the, the first thing that we learned from these stories is that our faith grows in direct proportion to our desperation. So our faith grows in direct proportion to our desperation. And I would just say, listen, if, if, think about it. If you're not that desperate for Jesus, you're not most likely to come to him very often. But if God, if you find yourself in places, and I would even say if God puts, your, puts you in places where you're desperate, he's actually giving you the very environment for your faith to grow more than it could out there. Does that make sense? Second, we, we learn that inadequacy and suffering are our friends, not our enemies. Um, I think so often in our culture, it's like we live in a culture of comfort. And so, like, I just got to get away from any uncomfort. And what these stories show us that inadequacy and suffering, they're like, they're like handicaps that keep us tied to the heart of Jesus. And so in your suffering, I would encourage you to actually embrace, embrace through it. Don't try to run from it right away. Em- come to Jesus in it, and you'll actually see that his transforming power, like, it, like suffering in a weird way can become a friend. And someday it will be gone. But embrace Jesus in the midst of it. And lastly, I just want to encourage you that Jesus wants to speak life into your dead prisons tonight. Like he really does. Um, there is no situation or circumstance that is beyond the, the love and the healing and the grace of Jesus Christ. And um, Jesus is never out of options, and he doesn't have to search for solutions. He himself is the power that brings changing transformation. So I just encourage you, like, if, you, if I could give you one thing tonight, it's just, like, come to him at his feet. Come in your helplessness. Come even in your pride. Come in your doubt. And just present before him what's going on. And let him speak his life giving grace into your circumstance. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you. And uh, Lord, we're, um, we're thankful that you are a wise and loving king. God, we are, uh, we're thankful that you let us, Lord, exhaust all of our options before you're the only one left on the table. God, it's your your kindness to let us not find satisfaction until we find it in you, to ultimately not find healing until we find it in you. And Lord, I pray that we would, um, Lord, we, we, I pray that you would teach us to, uh, to live daily dependent upon you. God, I pray that in our helplessness, Lord, that we would come to your feet, that we know you, that we come to our, our, our senses, Lord, that you are the Lord who, uh, Lord, that knows our frames and has all power, that we might receive the grace and mercy that we need when we experience your power in our lives. And Lord, I pray that um, whatever you do in us, Lord, God, from this room, Lord, not just as individuals, but this community, 
God, I pray that it would be the testimony that we share to those who don't know you. And uh, Lord, we rest in your goodness and your kindness. And uh, Lord, we sing now to you.